number four. We didn't finish chapter four last week. Nehemiah chapter four. We got down through verse number nine, and um, we spent a little bit of time last week dealing with the fact that uh, these folks are up there building the walls of Jerusalem, and Sanballat and Tobiah and uh, Geshem uh, all decide that they're going to become uh, critical of them. In fact, the Bible says that they um, were full of wrath. I mean, they were upset about this thing, and they uh, they. Uh, incited armies against the uh, the Jews and Nehemiah and his, his work teams. And uh, in verse number 7, it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth. And so uh, Sanballat's been pretty busy here stirring up a lot of mess, hasn't he? And uh, by the way, we've got to be careful. Um... You know, the Bible tells us, and, and I've seen so oftentimes, um, Satan, and I was, I was telling somebody this the other day, uh, I was out with a preacher friend, and Satan sometimes gets Christians to fight with other Christians, and, uh, and to, to be at odds. And we were talking about an incident a number of years ago, where good pastors of good churches took a side of an issue on one side, and a side of an issue on the other, and there was a group over here, and a group over here, and they began to to fight amongst themselves over an issue that they were really both right on. They were both saying the same thing. They just were wording it differently. And when you looked at the subject and what they were saying, it was it was the same thing. They were both saying the same thing. And they fought and they fought. And they took out articles in the Christian periodicals and they attacked each other. And Satan, I believe, stirs up this strife. And he sits back and he laughs because the work has been hindered. And uh, I'll say this, I believe one day that there's going to be a lot of accounts that are going to have to be given when we stand before God one day, where we have, if we're not careful, we have had strife, and um, you know, the Bible tells us this, that only by pride of contention. And the truth of the matter is, Paul dealt with it. Paul, they, they, even in the early church, the first churches, they had it. They had contention. They had issues going on. And here's, here's some men in Nehemiah's day that are conspiring against them. They're stirring up the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and, and all these otherites. And they're getting them all riled up. Saying, here you are doing the work for God. And the Bible says they were very wroth. They were angry. They were upset about these things. And they conspired, verse number 8, all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And by the way, anytime there's fighting, anytime we come down from the wall and doing the work that God's given us to do in order to fight, it hinders God's work. Every time. And so I like what, what the Bible says here, verse number 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And that's where we left off. And uh, they, uh, they prayed to God. They set a watch against them. And then you're going to see here, they go right back to working again. <laughs> and uh, so we find here in verse number 10, and this is where we left off last week, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. 
and there is much rubbish so that they are not able to build the wall. Boy, there is so much in this verse, isn't there? First you find the burden, the bearers of burdens. And of course in the context of what they're speaking of here, they're talking about probably the animals or at least young men maybe that had packs on their backs that would help to clear away the rubbish. We find a little bit later in the passage there were people that would load these bearers of burdens up. But the Bible says that there was so much rubbish that the bearers of burdens' strength was decayed. You ever gotten there before? <laughs> you ever get to where your strength is just its just gone? You're weary. You know, the Bible tells us, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap. But He puts this condition on it, If you faint not. And the implication of that is that there's going to come some days that you're going to think, I'm about to faint. I'm about to faint. I'm about to give up. I, I just can't take it anymore. I can't go on. There's a lot of rubbish that has to be dealt with. Sad to say, we live in fleshly bodies with flesh natures and human natures. And the truth is, in our lives, there's an awful lot of rubbish sometimes. So much so that it gets weary trying to do the Christian life. And here these bearers of the burdens, the Bible said, have been so busy trying to deal with all the rubbish that they lose their strength. They were weakened. And there are times that we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And he says in verse number 10, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish. Boy, that's a sad connotation, isn't it? If we take and we look at the examples and the pictures that God gives us here in the book of Nehemiah as the walls of our lives being broken down and needing to be rebuilt, the walls of our hearts sometimes being broken down and needing to be rebuilt, we have to look at it and say there's an awful lot of rubbish sometimes in our lives, isn't there? A lot of things that distract us and detract us from doing the work. A lot of things that vie for our time and our attention. And if we're not careful, we'll get so caught up. Um, the Bible says this, I think it's in First Timothy, it might be in Second Timothy chapter number 2, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. The idea is there's a lot of things that will try to distract us in this life. I, I got into a conversation yesterday with my mom as to why, uh, why uh, the sin was attributed to Adam and not Eve. She was the one that took of the fruit. And the Bible tells us that Adam sinned first. And it's interesting to me as I've looked at that over the years and tried to come to an understanding of that. And I think that the indication is given in Scripture that Eve was deceived. But Adam did so willingly of his own free will, of his own accord. But sad to say this, that when Eve was deceived, there was distraction, wasn't there? There was questioning of God's Word. There was doubting of God's Word. There were things that were in her ear and in her eyes, trying to pull her away, her heart away from the things of the Lord. And by the way, those are probably the two most vulnerable gates of our senses. In the day that we live, what comes in our ears and what comes in our eyes, we'll try all, the, and Satan will use those over and over and over again to do all that he can to draw our hearts away from the Lord. 
You know, the Bible tells us that our eye affects our heart. We see things and we desire them and our heart longs for them. And so we find that there's a lot of rubbish here in verse number 10. And that's a sad sad commentary. And because the, the bearers of the burdens, because there was a weariness and removal of the rubbish, notice what he says here, so that we are not able to build the wall. Have you ever had problems in your life and you try to get your heart back right with the Lord and you try to try to rebuild that wall and you just feel like you just can't get it done? It's, it's like there's just too much to be done. Uh, you look at the you look at the uh, the extent of the work that's going to need to take place in order for God to do it, and, and and a lot of times we'll say I just can't do it. It's just too much to try to get back to the Lord. I was talking to a fellow here just a few weeks ago, uh, late at night. He called and asked if I could come by and see him, and uh, dealing with some issues in his life. And uh, I said, you know, the first thing you got to do is you got to come back to the Lord. And he said, no, i got to fix all these other things before I can come back. And I said, no, you got it backwards. you got it backwards. If all you try to do is fix all these things before you can come back to the Lord, you'll never come back to the Lord. Because the rubbish is too great. The only way the rubbish can be cleared is when we come and we say, Lord, I need you to clear it out for me. I, I can't do it. I'm weary in trying to get it all out of my life. I've tried. I've failed. You can't, you can't use the flesh to clean up the flesh. It just doesn't work that way. So we've got to have the Lord's help. And we get to verse number 11. I love this. And the adversary said, They shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, cause the, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times from all places, when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Ten different times they come to Nehemiah, the folks that are doing the work, and they're saying, Nehemiah, we're worried. These folks are going to come in among us. They've talked about it. They, they've threatened us. They said they're going to come in and, and cause us to uh, uh, be killed and to, and to slay us and to see, cause the work to cease. And the Bible says this in verse 13, Therefore, in other words, in, in response to this, this is what Nehemiah did, Set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, uh, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers, to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, wives, and your houses. Now, I want to, there's a lot of things in these verses, and we may or may not get all of them. But it's interesting to me, the Bible says that when Nehemiah decided he was going to, to, to defend what they were doing there, it says that he sets them in the low places and he sets them in the high places. Can I tell you this? Uh, when it comes to defending ourselves against the wiles of the devil, the Bible tells us that we're to take and put on the whole armor of God. You remember that passage? You know what happens a lot of times in my life, and, and I imagine and suspect it happens in other people's lives too, is we pick and choose what pieces of armor we're going to have that day. We don't put it all on. And there are some vulnerable spots. And when Nehemiah heard this, he had ten different times they came to him and said, what are we going to do about this? Nehemiah made sure that they were well defended, that they took care of all the areas. And I've said this so often before when it comes to giving our hearts to the Lord and, and uh, being willing to submit and yield ourselves to Him, is we are, we are 
really easy, and especially if we're in a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, we have good friends, good fellowship, godly people that we hang out with, it's easy for us to give about 90% of our hearts 100% to the Lord. The problem is there's about a 10% of it that we always seem to try to hold on to, isn't there? We need to make sure that every area of our life is defended. That we put on the whole armor of God. That we yield ourselves completely to God. To give it all over to Him. And, and because of our, our, our doubtful natures, <laughs> because of our doubtful natures, our old flesh nature, that has a hard time trusting God with everything. We say that we do, but oftentimes we don't. We have a hard time giving up that last little bit of control and saying, Lord, I want you to have all of it. I want you to have full control. I want you to have absolute control of my thoughts, my actions, my heart, my motives. I want you to have all of it. We, we are quick and, and we can easily say, yes, Pastor, yes. And we, we may even come to an altar and we lay it out there. We say, Lord, you have all of it. And we don't say this, but in the back of our minds we say, but there's that one little bit right there. God, you can't have that one. He, he defends the lower places and He defends the higher places. And He makes sure that they are well defended. And when we get down to verse number uh, 13, He says, Therefore I said in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families, by the way, not only are we responsible for ourselves, men, but we are to be the leaders of our families. He sets their families, and he says this, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I think this is critical, I looked, and I rose up, and said to the nobles, there are three things here that Nehemiah does. First of all, he sees very clearly what the problem is. I think there are so many that, that are named the name of Christ that go through life literally with blinders on, with spiritual blinders on. We don't see the problems that are around us. We don't see the problems in our own life usually. And that's, we, we, we don't usually have the problem. You ever notice this? I can pick out a problem in somebody else like that. It is hard sometimes to see the ones I have. You ever notice anybody else like that? I, I, I've been there. I, I've been that way. He looked. He noticed the problem. And then I want you to notice he rose up. You know, there's a lot of people, and James talks about that, being a hearer of the Word, not a doer. A lot of people know what the problem is. I've heard Christians say, well, Pastor, I try really hard, but the Lord knows this is just a weakness in my life. And we use that as an excuse to justify not even trying. Not even working on it. Not even trying to get better. Not even trying to have the Lord help us get victory over it. You don't just sit there on your laurels saying, yeah, I know that's a problem and God's given me grace and I'm so thankful for God's grace. And by the way, He does and I am thankful. I'm thankful that His morning, morning by morning, as the Bible says, His mercies are renewed every day. I'm thankful for that. But that doesn't give us the right as God's people to sit back knowing there's a problem and do nothing about it. He sees it. He looks up. The Bible says he rose up. He didn't just sit there. And he does something about it. 
He goes to the nobles and he tells them and the rulers and the rest of the people. And here's what he tells them. Now, he's given them their sword. Their, their, uh, their, in the verse 13, he gave them their swords, their spears, and their bows. But then he says, be, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And, of course, terrible here not meaning it in a bad sense the way we use it so much today, but in a, a sense that He's very great, He's very mighty, and in His presence people have a tendency to, to tremble. You ever come into somebody's presence that was had a lot of influence and power and you, you get those butterflies in your stomach just going to meet them? I, I'm thankful that God lets us come to Him as His children and call Him Father, but the truth is there also needs to be a healthy fear of God because He is great. He is far above anything that I can even imagine. And then I look at myself. And when I come into His presence, I'm thankful He gives me the right to come there by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I should never come arrogantly. I should never come demanding of God. These men that get up in the pulpits today, and there will be some all over the country today, that will get up and they'll start commanding God in the pulpit. And people that will sit in the pews of their churches will sit there and amen that kind of garbage. And the truth of the matter is, we serve a God that is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He's above all the principalities and powers. He's the one that stepped out into nothing and spoke. And the Bible says it was so. This is the terribleness of the God that we serve. Not that He's a bad God, but that He's so great and that He's so mighty that in His presence... And you, you check me out in Scripture. Go through and find the times where God appears in visions to these men. And look at their responses. A number of years ago, I was listening... <laughs> it's been a while since I've shared this. A number of years ago, I was listening to... And I'm going to mention the name. I was listening to uh, Jesse DePlantis talk about the fact that he had a vision or he had gone to heaven and uh, that he and God were talking. They were walking through a field. And he made it sound like it was buddy-buddy. And somebody asked him in his question and answer time, said, Jesse, why did you come back? And this was his answer. He said, well, we were walking through this field, and Jesus said, Jesse, I'd love you to come on home with me, but I need you too bad. And I thought, how, how much of, of just absolute hypocrisy and arrogance and false teaching that is. God didn't need Jesse to plant this. God made Jesse to plant this. I'm thankful that God chooses to let us have a part in His work, but God doesn't need me. If God needed, if God wanted to get His word around and leave me out of the picture, He could certainly do it. And that's why I think it's such a wonderful privilege to serve the Lord. I think every one of us ought to feel that way. Verse 14, the Bible says, I looked and rose up, said unto the nobles, Be not ye afraid of them, and rulers to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And then I love this. And fight, notice what it says here. And fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Notice it doesn't say to fight for yourself. And I thought of that as I was reading this verse. Isn't it interesting? For years, for thousands of years, even human nature caused men to say, women and children first. For men to lay down their lives in sacrifice 
for others. It was called chivalry. It was called nobleness. It was called honor. You take and read stories sometimes of the generation that went into the war in the Second World War at the numerous accounts of absolute selfless sacrifice. Men that knowing they would die to save the lives of others would plunge headlong into it. I think of the sinking of the Titanic and one of the most moving stories I recount of reading of the story of the Titanic was an interview that was done by one of the stewards that had manned a lifeboat and had survived the ship's sinking. And in the interview, uh, the interviewer was talking to him and he said, uh, Sir, I know, this, I know that over and over the, it's been mentioned that the cry on the deck of the ship was, Women and children first. And he asked the steward, he said, Sir, was that the law of the captain or the law of the sea? And the steward looked at him incredulously and said, Sir, that's just the law of nature. That's just the way men are supposed to be. And by the way, we need a a movement in our country today of teaching young men this principle again. We're raising a bunch of boys that are no longer men. No longer willing to say, I'm going to fight for my brethren and for my brothers and my sisters and my daughters and my sons and my wife. And if it costs me my life, and I like what Esther said when she was put to the task, if I perish, I perish. To have some nobleness. And, and you say, Brother Greg, that's not a spiritual issue. I think it is. As we go through Scripture, we find time and time and time again that even though it's not maybe specifically mentioned in Scripture, we find passages like this that allude to it, don't we? Nehemiah tells these folks, he says, listen, I want you to fight for your brethren. Fight for your neighbor. Fight for your uh, sons, your daughters, your wives. Don't worry about yourself. Think of others. Now, he says this, and in verse number 15, It came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught. Isn't that amazing? They won the battle without even a fight. You say, how did they do that? God brought their counsel to naught. You ever had, you ever, you ever had a situation where you're like, boy, I, this, these people, they're coming after me and I just don't know what I'm going to do. But God handled it. My dad used to tell me years ago, God keeps good records. He'll take care of it. You know, we, we don't have to worry about those things. Just keep on the wall and keep building. It's okay to have the sword by your side. But keep on the wall and keep building. And it came to pass, and the enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, and we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, what does it take to stop these folks? They've had Samballot and Tobiah ridicule them and be very wroth with them and very angry. That would have stopped most of the people. That would probably was, If that had been in this day and age, that would have probably stopped 80% of Christians. A little bit of ridicule, a little bit of opposition. Somebody sitting them down saying, boy, this is a wrong thing. I can't believe you all are doing this. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I won't do it again. That's, what we, that's about what 80% of the Christians would do, I think, today. Then, then they incite the, 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 the other countries around them, the Amorites, the Ashdodites, and all these otherites, and they get them all riled up against them. And the last 20%, I think, if they lived today, would have, fleed, would, would have fled. And here, these people are getting ready to come at them, 
And Nehemiah says, listen, uh, just fight for your brothers and sisters and trust the Lord. And the Bible tells us here in verse number 15, uh, or verse number, yeah, verse number 15, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. They just trusted the Lord was going to take care of them. And they didn't come down. We've asked the question a number of times in this study. What does it take to get us to quit? What does it take to get us to quit? Here we see a group of people, and I'm talking about moms, dads, brothers, sisters, daughters, sons. We see all of them. We see a, a dad, back in chapter 4 I think it was, we see a dad and his daughters rebuilding. Well, I guess he didn't have any sons. And they're ridiculed, they're, they're persecuted. They've been told that they need to come down and stop the work for the Lord that they were doing. <coughs> the Bible says that all of them went back to work. They went back to work. They weren't going to quit. They had something in their heart that God had put in there and said, I need a work done. They committed themselves to the work, and there was nothing that was going to happen that was going to keep them from doing the work that God gave them. We've enjoyed over 200 years of wonderful religious liberty in our, in our country. The expense has been this. It has lulled us to complacency and weakness. We're seeing some trying times now, and we're all fretting and worrying. And a lot, I've heard people, I've seen people posting and, and writing emails and coming on videos. And, oh, what are we going to do if this stuff gets worse and worse? It's the end of the world. Well, wait a minute. There were Christians before that were persecuted far greater than we were. Hebrews chapter number 13 says, You have not yet resisted unto blood. What, what right have we to complain? What right have we to quit? We haven't even gone through persecution yet. We've gone through inconvenience. But we've not been persecuted yet. It may be coming. And if we don't start teaching some of these principles, we're going to raise a generation behind us that are not going to stand in the day of persecution. The truth of the matter is, if we don't teach these principles in our lifetime, we may not stand during this persecution. We need to learn these things. It came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, the other half of them held both spears and shields and bows and the habergeons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens, and those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so built it, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Boy, what a lesson. Can I tell you this? That ought to be said of every Christian. I know, I've known a lot of Christians that were good at fighting the spiritual warfare, but very poor in growing and building. Now, I've known other Christians that were very good at building spiritually, but they were not up to fighting a spiritual warfare. Can I tell you this? The well-balanced Christian is able to do both. He's able to defend against the wily darts of the devil. He's able to put on the whole armor of God. He's able to wrestle against the principalities and powers. But he is also able to build the wall while he's doing it. We can't focus on one at the expense of the other. We must do both. For if we fail to build, we never grow. And if we fail to defend, we are destined to fail. And I hope that we can learn something very valuable from that particular principle here.
Let's go ahead and uh, dismiss there. We'll finish up next week and get into chapter number 5. But for the lateness of the hour, we'll go ahead and end on that note. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, how, how amazing it is, the perfectness of the things that You, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave to these writers to pen these words in this book that we hold so precious and dear to our hearts so that we, over these thousands of years,